You're listening to C3 Church Vancouver Podcast. We know you'll be blessed by this message. Thanks, Dad. Hey, it's good to be here this morning. Um, it's, uh, it's great if you're new because if I say anything you don't like, you can take it up with my dad next week. Because uh, I, I go back to Los Angeles on Tuesday and you don't know where I live. Um, <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, look, I'll give you a disclaimer. I may sound like a descendant of Steve Irwin. My passport may say that I was born in Abbotsford, which it does. And I look like an amalgamation of Tony Soprano and uh, Maui from Moana um, <laughs> with an Instagram account. Uh, but uh, forgive me if uh, I get a little excited sometimes on the microphone because I, uh, I cut my teeth in Georgia, in Atlanta, where my beautiful wife is from. Uh, so sometimes that southern preacher gets a hold of me a little bit. So if I start yelling and I offend your sensible Canadian sensibilities, well, I'm Canadian too, so uh, take it or leave it. <laughs> Come on. Uh, but yeah, look, I am, my wife and I, we do... We serve on the pastoral team in, in Los Angeles, at C3 Los Angeles. Uh, we have one church in two locations. And, man, we're just, we're just seeing God do something really cool in that city. Um, it's a city where people come with dreams, with very big dreams. Uh, and, and they kind of serve themselves up on a silver platter to be rejected constantly. And, uh, and uh, you know, we're seeing young men, young women... Finding Jesus again in a city that wants to chew them up and spit them out. Um, they're coming for one reason, but they're staying because they're encountering the living God. And I got to say, being here and preaching to you this morning is sort of a, it's a surreal experience. I moved here when I was 16 years old with my parents as they planted this church back in 2001 and spent much of my formative years only about five blocks that direction, getting into all kinds of trouble. Thank God the cops never found me. Um, and you think I'm kidding. Uh, but me and my delinquent friends cut our teeth out there uh, on these streets, literally. And, uh, and it's, it's amazing to be standing here, only five blocks away from where I used to spend my nights on those streets, unbeknownst to my parents, uh, who trusted me, and thank God they did, because uh, it was only through their trust that I came back to realize I needed God, which sent me on my trajectory to Bible college, and now I stand before you. Now I stand before you. Sort of changed. Sort of. <laughs> Somewhat. Ask my wife. But hey, look, if you've got your Bibles, and it's a good thing to have a Bible in church, turn with me to the book of Hebrews uh, in chapter 11. I know you guys have been doing a, a series on faith over summer. So if I, could, if I could maybe add my little footnote to that discussion. Uh, you know, as a church in Los Angeles, we have been growing, we have been thriving, and we have been seeing amazing miracles take place. But uh, this year, amidst the blessing, we've also, as a church, experienced some, some great disappointment uh, as a church. In fact, our church was, in a way, birthed out of disappointment. It was birthed out of a church split. It was, it was birthed out of some failures. And um, three and a half years ago, 
us along with about four or five other couples, barely in our 30s, deciding, some of us not even in our 30s, deciding to, to just deal with the disappointment and stand on the, the word that God had given us uh, to lead a church in the great city. And, and, and through that, God's really taught uh, a lot to us as a church about faith through disappointment, uh, through pain. And uh, this morning, I'm going to speak a very just simple, quick message our church has very strict time parameters because we have services back to back and we meet in a Jewish community center. Uh, and and uh, the, the, the retirement community next door is not really a fan of us um, because we are quite a loud bunch. If you can imagine, uh, you know, 200 or so, 20-somethings, 30-somethings uh, yelling out for Jesus um, next to a building where there's they're about this close and there's a giant tunnel between the two of them that creates a sound vortex. Uh, so, so we're bringing the elderly to Jesus, whether they like it or not. Um, so I've learned to try and make a point really quick within 20 minutes so that we don't uh, feel the wrath of about 200 senior citizens. Um, so I have two quick points this morning, but if you will, let's read. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken, uh, was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If you could pray with me one more time, church. And if you're taking notes here this morning, this, this, this sermon is called Greater Faith. God, I thank you right now for this, uh, this time that we have with you to look at your word and seek out your spirit here. I pray this morning for all those in attendance that your spirit speaks, Father God, that There are those here this morning searching for something. May you meet them where they're at. May you reveal the true nature of yourself and what it is to be a follower of you here this morning. I pray your Holy Spirit into this place. And in your mighty name I pray, amen. Thank you, Susanna, for your help. We're good. No, we're good. You can go. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, look, faith is a topic the church could probably tackle 52 Sundays out of the year and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be enough of a conversation. Uh, faith is a topic that, quite honestly, um, I, I've seen men and women, no matter what their stage, no matter what their walk, it is something that we wrestle with for almost a lifetime. Uh, and... Faith requires a certain, uh, how would you say, a, a certain perspective. Faith requires vision 
to know faith, it requires vision. It requires being able to have a perspective uh, on certain things. And uh, I, I like in, a, in the commentary of this uh, specific passage that I just read, um, N.T. Wright talks about faith being like that of, a, uh, of an ice axe. Uh, it's, it's like this, this tool um, that uh, you use to scale a sheer cliff, a jagged rock edge. Uh, it's something that uh, doesn't just get you uh, on the journey, but it sustains you on the journey uh, as, as the road gets tough. Faith is a, is a subject, it's an interesting subject, because there's so many facets in which we could talk about it. But this morning, like I said, I would, I would like to maybe speak it through the lens of, of disappointment. Not to get all down on you. Because the word itself is encouraging. Uh, but I think if we're talking about pain, if we're talking about disappointment, well, that's all something that we can identify with. Uh, and if I could speak maybe a little bit to, uh, to the culture of this church and about what it means to have faith for the future, um, I would like to do so. Uh, it seems like something that has become so clear to me, especially uh, serving as a pastor in this, in this specific cultural moment, um, I don't think there's anywhere in the West that's immune to the, the outrage culture that is, being, that, is, that is just sort of running rampant uh, across society. Um, I know in, in Los Angeles... It's, uh, it, we have just dozens, hundreds, thousands, literally millions of people coming to the city looking for themselves, looking for an identity, uh, feeling as though they've been cut off or, or, or marginalized or, or, or reduced to something, um, and that somehow defines them. Uh, and and this, this culture around saying, well, you should be mad, you should be outraged, um, is something that... Uh, I believe that the church should be fully engaged in because the reality is, is what people are searching for can only be found in one place. And it's so important that we as Christians, uh, we're, not, we're not simply being, uh, we're not allowing our faith to be informed by uh, bloated 180 character tirades that you can find on social media or a notification that comes through an application of the latest thing to be upset and mad about. Because what I'm noticing uh, is that, that, that Christianity itself, well, it's good to be compassionate. It's good uh, to know uh, and see the individual and, and see the pain and identify with the pain. But if we are simply letting that be the thing that informs our faith, well, it's not faith at all. Because what should be informing our faith is one thing, and it's one source, and his name is Jesus. And I'm speaking to the Christians in the room. Uh, but that is what should be informing, should be informing our faith. And I think that it's, it's easy in this day and age to look at the state of the world and say this is the worst it's ever been. Um, and, and most recently I've been sort of slowly thumbing my way through some early writings of G.K. Chesterton. And as I'm reading, and I'm reading his commentaries from the 19th century on the ills of immorality within society and, and the push to progressive politics over true morality, true good, 
it could very well be a commentary on today's state. And I have to say, that's actually encouraging for me because it says that what we deal with today in a society, it's not something that has never been dealt with before. In fact, it will continue to be dealt with. It's just that when we are in a time of hyper-awareness by no choice of our own because of these tiny little $1,000 devices that line our pockets, <laughs> I just recently took a a self-imposed social media break, meaning I literally deleted all of my social media. Um, I have no issue with it. It's a really great tool for communication. Um, but I found myself being more informed and having my faith more informed by voices that had no, no right to inform what God should be informing. Uh, and, 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 and that, this is all to say, uh, we as a church, and I'm talking about the church, uh, uh, broadly, we need to be a church, we need to be a people willing to engage the culture, uh, but not putting the culture before our faith. Um, so today, like I said, I would love to just add my, maybe my footnote to this wonderfully complicated and mysterious topic of faith. Um, last night, it's likely that hundreds of churches, thousands of churches made posts on their social media accounts of pictures of happy, young-looking Christians getting ready for church, encouraging their congregants to... Uh, to come expectant tomorrow morning to church. Come with expectation. And I think that word expectation can kind of get lost. Uh, it can kind of get lost on us. It's become this Christian vernacular that maybe has lost a little bit of meaning or it's taken on a meaning that it really shouldn't have. Um, now, expectation is a good thing to have. God encourages it. Have expectation of him that he will do a good thing. But, but what I think happens... Uh, maybe in, in today's day and age and, and from my current experiences. And it's hard to talk when my dad and someone who mentored my dad is in the room and saying my experiences because my experiences are about this big, um, you know, or alongside, I don't know. You can take it up with me later, Fletch. Um, but but I, think, I think that uh, this word expectation well, it gets thrown around a lot and we, we lose a little bit of, it loses a little bit of meaning uh, because what can happen is expectation, when we say we have expectation in God, it can actually replace our faith in God because what we are expectant for takes its place of who we are expectant in. And the reality is, is and this is my first point, faith, first, first, first point is faith is not a guarantee of your expectation. And the reason I say that is because expectation is a concept that God does not wrestle with. God is not surprised by you. He's not. There is nothing you can do that surprises him. Whatever you did last night, he knew you were going to do it. Don't look at me so wide-eyed. God is, not, God is not surprised by what you do. God has never been surprised by what you do. 
God doesn't uh, expect something from you so that you can let him down. God doesn't wrestle with expectation of his creation. Uh, he's not caught off guard when you uh, swore at the guy who cut you off on the way to church this morning like your beautiful sweet wife may have been. Um, speaking from personal experience. Um, God does not put his hand to a situation with an expectation of outcome and then a question mark attached to it. Uh, what I'm really trying to say to you, church, is that when a, a situation that you have been believing for takes a turn for the worst, God is not sharing in your disappointment in that moment. In fact, what he's doing is he's actually calling you to a greater level of faith. He's not sharing in your disappointment because God, well, God's not a cold-hearted sort of authoritarian casting judgment from on high. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't share in your disappointment because when you put a period to a situation, when you put a full stop, he adds two more periods behind it because the sentence isn't done. The story is not done. Um, what I'm trying to say to you, church, is that your faith is not a guarantee of your expectation because your expectation is too low for what God can do for you. Might start yelling in a minute. I was listening to the Bishop Jakes last night, so careful. Uh, listen, when we live by expectation alone, we live no, leave no room for, for faith to truly take root. Uh, when we live by expectation alone, we actually reduce our faith uh, to a certain level of self-assured optimism by putting what we have faith for before we have uh, b b before who we have faith in. I uh, See, I think we can read Hebrews 11 where it says faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And we can read it, but really what we're saying is uh, uh, it says that faith is the expectation of, of, of things we hope for. It's not the assurance, but it's the expectation of things we hope for. And the reality is, is our, like I said, our expectation is too small for what God can do, but what he will do and what he is currently doing. When we live by faith alone, we leave no room for faith to take root. Because if we have faith for what never comes to realization, we can look at the outcome of our circumstance simply through the, the lens of that expectation. And when we're looking through the lens of expectation, uh, it's colored by the tint of, of, of disappointment. When we are let down, when we uh, suffer loss, uh, when we suffer death, when we suffer uh, the end of a relationship, when we suffer um, the loss of a job, financial insecurity, this colors the lens in which we're looking at our faith. This colors the lens. But what we need to do is we need to take our expectation and put that to the back seat. Uh, and put who it is that we have actually faith in for that expectation uh, in the front seat, in the driver's seat before us. Because if we're lauding what we're expect we have expectation upon, well, we're always going to be let down because the reality is, is what we have expectation on uh, will never live up. Even in the blessing, the blessing is always going to be better than what you had expectation for. I, I can tell you that this building, I don't know if this is the building that this church saw 15 years ago. But I can tell you that it's better than what, what was envisioned. I can tell you that it's better 
because it was not limited by a people who wanted one thing, but they were willing to let the things that died, the things that did not work, go into the ground uh, like a seed, which is a seed that does have to die before it can grow. And what comes out and what grows up is better than what we can envision. I don't know if that's good news for someone, but I think it's good news this morning. Look, I love the ESV's translation of Isaiah 43:19 because it, it leaves no, no room for doubt. It leaves no room for doubt about uh, God's hand uh, in any situation. Um, certain translations say, behold, I will, I will do a new thing. But I don't like that because, because that gives us room to, to say, well, it's not time yet. I'm just going to sit back and let, let it happen. We'll see when God moves, when God moves. But, but the reality is, is God's moving right now. God is never not working. God is never not doing. And the ESV says, uh, <laughs> uh, behold, I am doing a new thing. And now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Do you not see it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And I, I want to tell someone here today that maybe God isn't waiting to do anything, but, but rather God is currently at work doing the thing that he said he would. It just, it's just requiring you to get a new, a new vision. It's requiring you to get a little new perception. It's requiring you to see things uh, from a different point of view, to maybe put on uh, the mind of Christ and see the situation for what it is, because what looks dead is simply a seed that has gone into the ground. I think that maybe God is talking to someone here this morning, and I don't know who you are, but it could be that your situation, what you've been looking at through the lens of disappointment, God is putting on the lens of faith for you this morning, and it is time to step in and see a situation for what it is, which is that God is doing something. God is not done with you, done with you yet. This is the kind of faith that God wants for us. This is the kind of faith that he wants from us because he doesn't want to put us, he doesn't want our faith to be put in, into that of material things. He doesn't want faith to be put into that of, uh, of another person because those things can and will let you down. News for you, people will let you down. Ask my wife. That's a joke, you can laugh, it's all right. Whew. Not getting out my dirty laundry on stage, don't worry. Uh, but but God's, God's given you the ability to have the kind of faith that says, even in my sin, well, I'm made new, that even in my addiction, I am made clean, that the kind of faith that can speak from the beyond a grave, just like that of the righteous sacrifice made by, by Abel. And it's a kind of faith that says, even in my failure, I will stand upright because in faith I can do all things because of who it is that I have faith in. And I think right now that's a good time to give some praise to Jesus, that he is in control and he is speaking and he is not done working. But this begs a question then. Who is it that we have faith in? Well, it's, well, it's Jesus, Dave. Yes. You all know my name. You don't know the things about me that have made me me. <laughs> so he says. You know me by name. You know me by the things my parents are willing to tell you. But so much uh, can be said for having faith in God, but, but do we really know his heart? Do we really know who we're saying we have faith in? 
Hi, baby. My son's waving at me through the window. Come with me to Hebrews 12. One chapter over. Starting in verse 18, it says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words make the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they should not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, I shall, uh, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sign that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Uh, to know who God is, it's, to, it's important to know where God is. And so often, uh, we can, as, as I know, I'll, I'll just speak for myself in this instance, and if you identify, then just you can silently agree. But I know for myself that in failure, in sin, uh, in times where I, I miss the mark, uh, when shame hits me and I don't want to be honest, when I get through that, that hurdle, uh, when I finally bring myself around to approaching God for forgiveness, for repentance, I can approach him in a way that would signify what that scripture just, just spoke, that what that, the author of Hebrews didn't make explicitly clear, but because of who he was talking to, they understood that this is the God of, of Mount Sinai. This is the God that spoke to Moses and handed down the Ten Commandments. This is the God who uh, instituted law to a lawless people, who is uh, terrifying, holy, but terrifying in his approach. And so often I can, in myself, find myself approaching God like, oh, don't punish me. Oh, I'm scared to, sorry, God, I'm sorry, God. And I start to bargain in myself. And I think we as people, uh, we can so quickly uh, take on this view of, of who God is from a point of view as if he's this sort of righteous judge. And while judgment does belong to him and vengeance does belong to God, if you're seeking vengeance, let me tell you, that's one thing that God explicitly says in his word. That belongs to him, so you might want to let it go. Um, but side note, uh, <laughs> but let me tell you, uh, in those moments uh, when, when shame takes a hold, as we approach God in this, in this way that we, we feel this, with this deep sense of shame, it's because we've allowed our view, even though we've encountered the grace of God, even though we've encountered salvation, we've still let our view of God be informed by that of the world because that when we fail in the world, uh, punishment is due. When we fail, punishment is due. And we allow our view of who God is and how he sees us in those moments as this sort of terrifying, judgmental, authoritarian father. But the reality is, if you look further down in verse 22, it says, you have not come to Sinai, but you have come to a new place. It's called Zion, Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And I got to tell you, that's some good news because what it says in verse 25, uh, it says that we are enrolled to Jesus, 
the mediator of a new covenant uh, to that which his blood was sprinkled that speaks better than that of Abel. So in, in Hebrews 11, we just read that the blood of Abel speaks faith from the ground. But, but not only is that a good thing about the faith that we think is dead, but we now have the, uh, the ability to enter, to go to Zion uh, and, and engage with Jesus, whose blood is better than that of Abel, uh, because his blood is eternal, because his blood doesn't speak from the ground, it speaks from the heavens. It speaks over all situation. And the thing is about, about God is, is to know him, you have to know where to go. That is because faith has a destination. Faith is not a destination, but it definitely has a destination. And that is my second, my second point. Faith has a destination. See, uh, it's easy to dismiss this analogy sort of as, as irrelevant. Well, Mount Sinai, well, well I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a Hebrew. I'm not, I don't have an issue with that. I, I understand the grace of Jesus. I wish that were the case. I wish that were the case for myself. Because if I understood the grace of Jesus, man, my life would be a whole lot better all the time. Because I am constantly learning I am constantly gaining new perspective on the grace of Jesus, constantly uh, figuring out that what I thought was possible through Jesus is nothing compared to what is possible through Jesus. And like I said, I'm quick. So if the band wants to join me so I can land this plane, make me sound a little more spiritual. Um, But look, Through my short lifetime, my perception of who God has been has always been informed at times by things that are not God. Our lives are a journey to unwrap the true nature of our Father, and His understanding is only, this understanding rather, is only achieved through the pursuit of relationship with Him. And to pursue Him is to put faith in Him. But we cannot pursue him if we are constantly returning to Sinai because he does not live there. He lives on Zion. We are going to, we need to uh, remove that mountain from our map. Look, the evil that was unleashed upon Abel, so was it upon Jesus. But The innocent blood that was spilled so undeservedly which demanded that vengeance was finally rendered upon a cross. But the vengeance did not come in that of crushing evil and spilling more blood. It was one person's blood who was spilled so that life may be given to all, even those who deserved vengeance. We are all undeserving of this grace, but that's what makes it so wondrous, so mysterious. Faith has a destination, folks. You know, I mentioned, um, and if I get that photo up, I mentioned, you know, this year has been, for us as a church, it's been great, but we've also encountered some incredible disappointments, some incredible things that have been hard. And I'm, I'm thankful for people like my parents who I have in my, my back pocket who I can call in these situations because they've lived so much life and lived through all kinds of situation and Behind me, you see here some balloons going to uh, the sky, and I don't know if you can see, but there's little notes attached to the strings, Um, and they're actually, they're letters to heaven. Um, Earlier this year, an incredibly beautiful and faithful couple uh, in our church, um, well, 
they, they lost a, a baby at about eight and a half months. And uh, it was an incredibly crushing experience. And uh, this couple, man, let me tell you, they've beaten terminal cancer. They have a child that was never meant to be, beautiful little Charlie. And uh, this couple came to us in a place of desperation and hurt when they found our church because they had been rejected by their former church home. And, uh, and, and they experienced the Holy Spirit for the first time. And these people are so incredibly faithful. And, you know, we as a church, like I said, we're young. Our, our, our lead, we're young. I'm 32. Our pastor's 30. I think the, I think, uh, uh, the oldest pastor on, on our team is like 35. We're a, we're a young crew of people. We've gone through some stuff, um, but nothing had prepared us. Nothing could prepare us as a church. And uh, I think in this moment, what was the most astounding of it was to see the faith in which this couple stepped into. I sat across from Tony many times over the last months in brokenness, in pain and in tears and just as with his beautiful wife. But I always left feeling encouraged from the conversations. And that's a weird thing to say. But that's because even though their expectation was not met, even though their expectation was met with the most painful of outcome, they were never devoid of faith that birthed the expectation. And I see this couple now six months on, on the altar every week, serving. Um, Lindsay runs a, a nonprofit for our city, helping homeless veterans find homes and sets them up. She was given the keys to the city by the mayor because this is a people that they minister to me. I can give them pastoral oversight. I can give them pastoral care. But I got to tell you, they have given me a gift and they have ministered to me because of the faith that they have stepped into, that beyond their expectation of letdown and disappointment and every right to feel pain and hurt and hatred, I tell you that they put that thing aside because they know who they have faith in. And God is still to this day and has only just begun to work out a new thing through them. But it's hard to see, I know, but they know that their Father in heaven has a better plan, that their baby is now in the arms of Jesus and what they have here on earth is now a chance to tell a story of the goodness of God through the hardest of moments, through the hardest of times. And I'm speaking to someone here today that maybe what you are going through right now, your greatest pain, your greatest disappointment, your greatest hurt is in fact going to be the greatest story that you are going to tell. And you have a calling and you have a purpose and there is purpose to the pain that you are feeling right now because God will give it purpose. Though it may have felt random by its attack, though it may have felt random by its nature, God will give it purpose so that you may stand and you may speak into the giants of this world, that you may speak into the darkness of this world because God has sustained you. He has built you up. And though your expectation was made low and it was washed out, He has given you a blessing and an opportunity to stand before and say, look at what He has done in me. Look at what He has done. Come on. Family. And I'm speaking to you as family. What it is that may be the hardest thing that you are dealing with, 
It may be something that has haunted you for many years. If you will bring it to God and say, God, I no longer have faith in this situation that it would bring me down, but I have faith in you that you will make all things righteous and all things good and the blood of what was dead that is buried in the ground will speak faith because the blood from above, oh my God, the blood of Jesus makes things new. Come on, church, stand with me, will ya? Now, I'd love it if we could all just, in this moment, close our eyes. I'm gonna pray a prayer in a moment, but I wanna just speak to, I don't know who you are in this room, but I wanna create a private moment just really quick. And, uh, what I'm speaking about today, well, this may be completely foreign. This faith thing, this may, be, this may be new to you. But I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to give an opportunity for you to make a decision here this morning. To put your faith, whether you realize it or not, you have the ability to have faith. And that faith should be put into but one thing. And I'm not talking about the universe I care about you too much to not tell you the truth. There is no cosmic force at play here. God has a name. His name is Jesus. And I want to give you the option to respond here in just a moment. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'd love it if we prayed it together here in this place with every eye closed. Is that good, church? Is that all right? <sighs> Heavenly Father, Today is a new day, and I am a new creation. I accept your forgiveness, your love, and your grace. I repent from the old, and I look to you. Today, I put my faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Folks, with your eyes closed, if there's anyone here in this, this room who prayed that prayer for the first time, this is private. I would love it if in just the count of three, you gave me a quick wave. One, two, three. Beautiful. Hands over here. I see you. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else here this morning? I'm not waiting for me. I'm waiting for you. Don't let this moment pass you by. Wow. You know, the Bible says that all of heaven is in celebration. So I think uh, it's a good thing to join these five people and celebrate them making decisions for Jesus Christ here this morning. Come on. Hey. Thanks for listening. For more information, join us online at c3b.ca.